Thank you, Steve, for the last song, one of my favorite hymns. Our wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Let's uh, commit our service to the Lord with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord God, you would be pleased to speak this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that in the end you will be honored and glorified out of this. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you a moment to pray. A very brief prayer. Here it is. I want to ask you to pray this sincerely. Lord, if there is some truth in this message you want me to hear, I ask you to speak to me. The title of this message is, We Are at War. What fear those words instill when it is a literal war in one's own country. Our generation has never seen this where we are. But I'm talking about another war, one that is raging right now, and no matter who we are, we are in it. Saved or lost doesn't make any difference. So let me ask, what do we mean by the word war? Well, a war, as we generally use it, is a conflict carried out by force of arms uh, between two or more opposing parties. We see this right now in Ukraine, where Russia, Russian forces and Ukrainian forces are fighting for supremacy. It is forces trying to take by force what they want. In Israel, we see a war as well. It is a war between the state of Israel and another force that is not a state. Each side has its force. War is generally a bloody, gruesome thing. But in our world, we have different kinds of war. There's the war of words or the Cold War. The news media wages war with pictures and words, both true and false. And in this war, they fight for supremacy of the things that they want. I read this morning that in war, truth is usually the first casualty. But behind the scenes of all that is happening in the world, there is a spiritual war. This war is between God and the devil, and you and I are in it, and we are at war. We are on one side or the other, and sometimes we need to be reminded of this. We have all had our part in the devil's army, but here is a scary truth. And uh, that is even we as Christians may quite often be fighting for the devil while we think we are fighting for God. This war is fought in our personal lives. As I looked at this, I looked over my past life and I recognized that I have been the devil's helper when I had no idea that was the case. 
If we learn to recognize this battle, we will probably all see this in ourselves. We were on the devil's side when we were unsaved. Paul said, for we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. But even as Christians, we may be helping the devil. In this message, we are going to look at this war and where this war is being fought. Now, I find Christians very fearful of the demonic world, even in simply talking about it. And through this fear, we may remain largely unaware uh, of where demons have ac access to us and we ourselves are fighting for the devil. Listen, I <laughs> ask you, do you think we can fight for the devil as Christians? I can speak from my own experience. Let me identify the battle I'm talking about and give you the history of the battle as I see it. It is the battle between God and Satan. Let me share something I haven't shared for a long time. I raise this question. If God knew beforehand that Satan would deceive man and lead him into sin uh, before he created man and that the majority would be lost, why did he create mankind? Let me just say this. Your life and mine is extremely important. doesn't matter who you are. We are in something very very big. I want you to understand that what I give you now is my own opinion. Take it for what it's worth to you, and if you have something better, I would certainly be happy to hear it. When I was a young Christian, I pondered this matter, and upon hearing a certain message, I worked on this subject diligently. You need not agree with me, but you will agree there is something bigger going on than we generally recognize. So I want you to come back with me now to the creation of the universe, all the way back, 6,000 years back, in your mind. You've got to go back. Just be glad we're not evolutionists. Might take quite a while to get there. <laughs> now come back with me to before the universe existed. Are you there? Where are we now? Who was there? Who was there? Oh, you might say, well, God and angels were there. Okay, so let's go back before there were angels. Who was there now? Well, only God. Now let's go back to before God existed. Just kidding, just kidding. We can't go back that far. So we are now back to where God is alone. No universe, no man, no angels. It is my view, and I know others disagree, that God's chief attribute is that He is, anybody remember? Good. He is good. I believe He is everything else He is because He is good. He is holy, He is righteous, He is just because He is good. Now consider a good God who exists all by himself. And then one day, before there were days, he decided to make some free moral agents that would be able to recognize him and his goodness 
and they would be able to experience all his goodness and they would acknowledge that goodness and out of that he would no longer be alone and he would be glorified and be able to commune with beings that were persons and free moral agents who recognized his goodness. And through this, these created beings would find perfect fulfillment and they would glorify him. And as long as they did that in recognition that they were created beings, they would be fulfilled and they would praise and honor and glorify God. Now, people say, <laughs> heaven must be pretty boring. Pretty boring. Just praising God. Oh, how little we understand. As I see it, they praised and honored and glorified God because they experienced such joy because of the fact that they were fulfilled in all that they did. You see, we love nothing better than fulfillment. Nothing. That's everybody. We will give anything for fulfillment. Look at where we will all go for fulfillment. As a matter of fact, that is what every human being wants right at this very moment. Here's what we all want, fulfillment in all our undertakings. Have you ever made something or done something and you were really happy about it and you just enjoyed the feeling of accomplishment? Well, <laughs> there's nobody who has lived any amount of time hasn't come across that. That's a little taste of fulfillment. I do not know what all there was for the angels to do, but it cannot be otherwise than that there was a lot for them to do, and they were totally fulfilled in doing so. Now, in order for angels to praise and glorify and honor God, they had to be free moral agents. There is no praise or honor or glory that means anything if it is simply programmed or forced. Just mean nothing, like a machine. And if they are free moral agents, then they must have the ability to do things that do not please God. You'll follow? And things that please Him. And in the process of time, and yes, there was time, a very high-ranking angel at Cherub called Lucifer decided he too wanted glory. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14. There are two passages most theologians believe describe the fall of Lucifer. We're going to look at one. Lucifer was this high-ranking angel that wanted glory for himself. His name, Lucifer, means bearer of light or morning star. Here's the account of his fall from Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit I, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the 
Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to the pit, to the lowest depth of the pit. After this event, God had sin in his domain. Something he had to deal with or forever have sin uh, that he had not dealt with. And if it was not dealt with, God would cease to be good and he would, because he would cease to be just. So here is the big question. How can God justly deal with Satan and those angels that followed him and still leave the rest of the angels in such a way that they knew they were praising God and worshiping God of their own free will? You have to think now. You have to think. Think now. If he cast Satan and his fallen angels into hell right there, the rest of the angels would have to conclude this. <laughs> we worship God of our own free will, all right? As soon as we don't, it's the axe, just like Lucifer and his followers. And here is my speculation. God created the universe and thus made a realm in which man would be able to live and move and have his being, but he would never be able to see God. And he created the whole universe with this purpose in mind. He would use mankind to destroy the devil and leave the rest of the angels knowing forever that they serve God of their own free will. If this is so, how that all works, I do not know. But according to the New Testament, there are things in our great salvation that angels desire to look into. Could it be, could it be that when all man's struggles on earth are over, the angels will understand how salvation by faith proves forever that they serve him of their own free will. There's much we do not know, but what we do know is that in this realm, this realm in which God created man, man must choose God of his own free will and obey and worship God alone without ever getting to see him. This faith is the thing that pleases God above all else. And it is when we please him that he extends his grace. This is what is so little understood. Grace doesn't just come. Well, we do not know how long man lived in obedience to God, but we do know that the battle between God and man happened in the Garden of Eden. And we know the story how Adam and Eve fell into sin. God knew that would happen, and he also knew that he would provide a very costly way of salvation for man. But man would have to put his faith in God and trust in him through his word in order to be saved and for him to accomplish his purpose. Man could never see God. This is man's ultimate test. And any person who learns to live by faith becomes part of God's army against the devil. Salvation is by grace through faith. Right there we become part of God's army. 
On the other hand, those who sin and do not get saved are part of Satan's army. It doesn't matter who you are. If you are unsaved, you are the, the enemy to God. There is, listen, there is no neutral ground. None. You see, fallen angels could never be saved once they sinned. And that is because of this. They had seen God. And because of that, they could never live by faith. Man who has not seen God can live by faith and trust in God's way of salvation. But to do that, to do that, he must humble himself. The eternal life starts with humility. Right at the very beginning. He must humble himself and live humbly with God by faith. Satan fell through pride and can never humble himself. He is lost once and for all, as are all fallen angels. So man is to get saved by faith and is to live his life by faith. That is where all of us are right now. But there are several major problems man faces. First, through Adam's, uh, through Adam's sin, man is born with a sin nature. Every honest person will find this in him or herself. That causes man to always be bent towards sin. And God cannot be glorified or defeat Satan by those who live in sin. So let me briefly mention this sin, uh, talk about this sin nature. We all have a sin nature and it causes a constant battle for us. Pastor Darrell has been dealing with sin. That is, the most, that is a most important subject for a pastor to deal with, and it is not pleasant. He went through the sins of the flesh of Galatians 5. All of us do battle right there. I have been most keenly aware of some of those areas I, watch, I have to watch in my own life. It's not possible, uh, or I should say it is possible for Christians to be envious or jealous or to hate others. It is possible for Christians to go to hell because of that. That's what the passage says. And uh, Pastor Darrell has pointed this out. That is, that is a frightful truth. Oh, how we struggle in the conflict with these issues of the sin nature. And no two of us are alike in our own sin nature, but we are all alike in this, that we have a sin nature. So turn to Ephesians 6. The second major battle we have is with demonic forces. Everyone who is listening to me, will, they will meet a demon this week without question and have to make a decision. So let me make us all aware of something once more. Each of us have a conflict uh, or war with our sin nature and with the devil. This passage was read earlier and we'll just read verses 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And, and literally here, it should read, be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day.
Here is our great foe in this war. If you watch carefully, you will meet him this week. Now, what is concerning is that uh, many of us as Christians are not aware of what Satan is doing in our lives and how he uses us and how we speak for him and do his work. It's a fearful truth. Many times when the devil puts thoughts in our mind, we are not aware of what has happened and we think they are our thoughts. It is right here that family troubles and church troubles come. These troubles generally, if not, or maybe usually come from Christians who are being used by demonic forces without recognizing it. Now I want to show you, or show us, where God and Satan are fighting. Where does the whole battle take place? The realm in which the entire battle between God and Satan takes place is uh, that area the Bible calls the heart. The heart. We call it the mind. It's the same. Let me ask you this question. What is the difference between the brain and the mind? Well, here's the answer. The brain is the physical part of where mental processes take place, and the mind is the spiritual part. If you want an interesting study, uh, study what the secular world thinks the mind is. They know there is such a thing, but they do not know what it is. You know why they don't know what it is? Because they don't have the Bible. <laughs> now, the brain is, the, is physical uh, and uh, part of the body, and the mind is spiritual and part of the soul. Now, because I don't have time to explain some of this, uh, let me just say that when the Bible talks about the heart, and it is not talking about the physical part, which it seldom does, then it is always speaking about the mind. As the heart is the crucial aspect of our bodies, so the mind is the crucial aspect of our soul. It is the vital center. Now the Bible does not have a word for mind. Uh, now, this, this, might trouble, this might trouble some. There is no word for mind in the Bible. Well, I know there are words that are translated mind, but they are not the mind. So you might say, well, does not the Bible say you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? It does. The word heart speaks of this vital center of the soul, but the word translated mind is not mind. It's the word dianoia, which is not a part of something. It literally means a thinking through, how we think. We think in our mind, or what the Bible calls the heart. Now, listen, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, you tell me. So is he. As you think in your mind, that's how we become. Now, there's so much to say here uh, that we can't speak of at this time, but all of that... Uh, to say this, that the battle between God and Satan takes place in the mind, and I can tell you from personal experience what a, some of what a battle that is. The Lord has allowed into mine and my wife's lives things we had not dreamed we would face. It is different than we would have ever imagined, but... We walk with God and trust.
many of you would have the same story. We know God knows what he is doing. And uh, what we have learned very clearly is this. The battle is in the mind. And we need to learn to trust God with everything. So we want to take a look at the manner, the manner in which this battle takes place. Turn to Acts chapter 5. You need to look at this. Some time ago, my attention was drawn to a verse in Acts chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. You want to read the whole story? Same thing happened to his wife. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now I want you to look carefully at verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart. Get this. Ananias is a Christian and Satan has filled his mind. Is that what you read? Is that what it says here? Satan filled his mind? Yes. I ask you, is it possible for Satan to put thoughts in our mind? We're looking at the manner of the battle between God and Satan, and it is fought in man's mind, and man decides who wins. That is, in their own lives. Now, question. Can Satan fill any Christian's mind he wants to? No. Answer, no. But any Christian can open the door for him to fill their mind with thoughts. Let me ask you. Do you ever get angry with others and you lose it? Do you ever think bad things about others you should not think? Do you get caught up with worldly ways of thinking or all finances and money? Does lust ever take over? Do you get caught up with things on the internet or other social media you should not? Any one of those things and many worse things we participate in can open the door and Satan can enter and fill our mind with his thoughts. None of us are not susceptible and all of us must always be on guard. When a discerning Christian recognizes what is happening and he or she says, now that is a bad thought, I will not entertain thoughts like that, or I cannot watch that, or I cannot, you know how hard it is sometimes to say I can't watch that? Or I can't play those games. Or 
I cannot say those words. That person has closed the door to Satan. The person that entertains such things when they know they shouldn't and many others has opened a door that may allow Satan to walk in. Listen, he can walk in and split a church through somebody who thinks they're doing good. We have gone through very difficult church troubles and it took me quite some time to learn to say to myself, you can't think like that. You must not think like that. It is amazing how many churches or family troubles we can fix in our mind. Am I right? And not realize it is totally fleshly. And that's an open door for the evil one. And then things can start to spin and go. Let some of those thoughts go and we may think we are doing our own thinking and we have the answers, but we could be surprised that those thoughts come from elsewhere. Those same things we thought were so good may come back to us all mangled and distorted after we express them. So we ask, what happened to Ananias? How did he open the door? You know, I don't know why there was a need in the newly born church at Jerusalem. It may be that they, they were suffering persecution for believing in Jesus and some people may have lost their jobs and they had a hard time making ends meet. However that was, a certain man named Barnabas sold his land and don donated the money to help these needy people. No doubt Christians said, wow, did you hear what Barnabas did? <laughs> have you heard? He sold his land and he's given it all to the church. It's for these poor. Now let me show you how the devil can take a very good deed and use it for his own ends. What Barnabas did was a good deed. But here's the case. Satan had already tried to destroy the church from outside, as chapter 4 clearly reveals. So far, he has failed, and now he wants to seek to bring destruction from inside the church. How does Satan get inside the church? Well, I'll tell you what. He gets in through some mind, some person. He finds some Christian or carnal Christian and enters through the mind of that person where he finds some ground to enter. And in this case, not only did he find such a person, oh, what a lucky day he had. He found a man and his wife. They were both willing to be his servant. What was this open door they made for him? Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be known for giving money to the church just like Barnabas. You see what the devil can do. Oh, yes, does stuff like this happen in churches? So they agreed together to sell some possession and then keep back part for themselves, but make it look like they had given it all to help the poor. And right here was the devil's opportunity to enter. They, listen, they were living a lie. Oh, how powerful lies are. It is an open door if ever there was. Let me tell you, all kinds of sexual immorality, wide open door for demons. Wide open door. 
In Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Did Ananias realize Satan had taken over his thinking? Did he realize this? No. But the facts are Satan had filled it with his own thoughts. Ananias had opened the door. Satan stepped in and filled it with his own thoughts. Here is the battlefield. Here is the manner of the battle. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul speaks of the possibility of Satan taking advantage of us. He can, see he's talking to Christians. He can do that when something is not right in our minds. Then it says, for we are not ignorant of his, anybody know? Devices, yes. Now, that word devices speaks of thoughts. His thoughts. Naima. Here's what happens. When he finds any opening where he can put thoughts into our minds, we think those are our thoughts, and when we do, uh, do not recognize where they come from, we are ignorant of Satan's work in our minds. In our North American Christianity, few Christians are aware of the demonic world. They don't even want to talk about it. When we are ignorant of where certain thoughts come from, now he can take advantage of us. How does Satan keep unbelievers in unbelief? According to 2 Corinthians 3.14, he blinds their... What? Their minds, their thoughts. It's Satan that does it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose minds, the God, there's our word, same word, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the word minds is our word for thoughts again. Now whose minds or thoughts is it speaking about? The minds and uh, thoughts of unbelievers. They become Satan's thoughts. How does Satan keep them blind? Satan blinds their thoughts. And we see in Ananias that Satan can work like that in Christians too. There is such, there is such a misunderstanding in the church. They say, well, Christians can't be demon-possessed. Well, you could be however you want to. Christians, Christians can be greatly troubled by demons. By the way, anybody that wants to, you can study this word demon-possessed. It doesn't occur in the Bible. It does in our Bibles, but not in the original. Don't have time for that here. Now, um, we have faced numerous church troubles, and often I would think, you know, if I will say this, or I would do that, or maybe I should do this, and, and, uh, and I would think all these kind of things uh, in my own mind, and I have observed others as well who thought what they could fix was the way the thinking went. It's the same as mine, straight, plain carnality. Without recognizing myself, this is carnal. And I had to learn to say to myself, you can't think like that. You must not think like that. Oh, it may look so right and so reasonable, but it has its source somewhere else, and we don't recognize the source. 
I'm talking about myself as well. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We must not war according to the flesh. So much of our thinking is fleshly. Why must we not war according to the flesh? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds. My wife and I have watched numerous videos of Europe. We've seen many castles. Ever seen those? Oh, they're incredible. They are strongholds, way up on some cliff or whatnot. Many of them look impossible to enter unless somebody lets you in. The devil sets up such strongholds in our minds. Say on the hill of pride, or the hill of envy, or the hill of jealousy, or the hill of greed, or desire to be somebody. And it is impossible to penetrate that stronghold. But Paul said, the warfare of the minister is not fleshly and it can pull down those strongholds. You know, only God is capable of that. What else do the uh, weapons of our warfare do? Listen, listen. Casting down imaginations. Ever guilty of this? Imagining stuff. How many of those do we let carry on in our minds? But these weapons, these spiritual weapons, can cast down these imaginations. And it goes on like this, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's a God. Where is the battle? The battle is in the mind. Let me take you to another passage, Philippians chapter 4. This time it's an encouraging passage. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. There's the active part of the mind. Anxiety takes place in the mind. And there are many uh, are the things that want to bring anxiety to us. But Paul said, don't do it. Then he says, do this. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, you can't figure this out, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let me just point out that the word translated minds is our word name, our thoughts again. When we learn to bring everything to God and entrust those things to Him, the peace of God will mount guard over our thoughts and it will change how we think. Here is the battleground, our mind. And when our thoughts are guarded by God's peace, now Paul tells us how to think in verse 8. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Where is the battle? It is in the mind. 
It is the vital part of the soul where we process thoughts and store them. And what we process and what we store determines how we operate, just like a computer. Put the wrong stuff in, you get the wrong stuff out. Put the right stuff in, you get the right stuff out. You see, it is possible to be a Christian and do the devil's bidding. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 for one more passage. In this passage, we're nearing the time of crucifixion and Jesus is beginning to show to his disciples that he must die and they, uh, are, they're not having it. So we begin in verse 21, Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter thought he was a staunch defender of Jesus, but he was doing the devil's bidding. Look at verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful, not thinking of the things of God, but the things of man. Now the word mindful in this verse is a little different than the word we have had so far, but it has to do with the thinking. What Peter was thinking was not right. And this opened the door for a spirit to enter. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Now let me ask you. If that could happen to Peter, do you think it could happen to me or you? Of course, it could. And why did Jesus look at Peter and address Satan? Because Satan was the one who put those thoughts in Peter's mind and he was working through Peter's mind against Christ. You know what happened just before this? Peter had just made a great and godly confession and it is in such places that we stand in the gravest danger of becoming a tool for the devil and not being aware of it. That's what it was with Peter here. When we come to where we have done something significant for the Lord, the time shortly after is always a dangerous time. Might not always happen, but it's always dangerous. And so it was for Peter. Satan is a huge adversary. And when we can get in our mind at, when he can get in our mind at an opportune time, he can use Christians for his own purpose. It is highly unlikely that we have not been used by Satan in some things, even in the very recent past. We do well to guard and watch our lives. For, listen to First uh, John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one who is in the believer, in the context, is the Holy Spirit. The God who is in the lost is not as big as the God who is in the believer. Now notice it says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. You have gotten the victory over them, who is them. 
Well, look at verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has, Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, that is, the spirits, but because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. How do we guard our hearts? We saw earlier that we are to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication bring every request to the Lord, and the peace of God will mount guard over our hearts. We need to fill our minds with the Word of God. We need to keep our motives pure uh, in all we do and walk a close walk with God. We are not, listen, we are not capable of recognizing when the devil has put something into our minds unless we walk closely with God. For this reason, we must always uh, be in prayer and always seeking God. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. Once more, the words heart and mind um, you are used in one verse, but here the word translated mind is dianoia. It comes from the noose part of the mind, the storage part of the mind. And uh, in my understanding, this word dianoia, you know what it is? In all our thinking through. You know what it is like? Uh, you, you ever go to sleep and you can't sleep? No? Your mind just shuts off and just tunes out, right? Hmm? Does it? <laughs> Nobody else is either. It's always going. When you do a job that you're really familiar with and uh, you can think other things, you know what your mind does? Well, maybe it's walking to and fro and seeking whom it may devour. I don't know. <laughs> but it's going. It's going. When it talks about you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your dianoia, it's that stuff we pull out of our storage part of the mind and we regurgitate, we rethink. And what wants to happen in those times, we want to think things we shouldn't be thinking. That is the place, that is the place where we need to learn to love God. Don't think like that. Here, here's what you need to think about. As I take it, when our mind is in that state right there, that is, uh, we, we can spend our time thinking, right there we are to love God with all our thinking. Now when we love God in all that thinking through, instead of biting and devour, devouring others, we should love God there. Paul told us in Philippians what, things, what kind of things to think about. We are at war. And this war is being fought in our minds. And here we must learn to get the victory by faith. Let me conclude by saying there are very few states of mind. There are, uh, I should say, there are very important states of mind as well as many uh, ways of thinking. Humility, listen, 
Humility is a state of mind. Pride is a state of mind, a high state. Humility is a low state. We can be like-minded or sober-minded, and there are all kinds of states of mind. But let me conclude with this, that there is a kind of thinking, a state of mind that pleases God. Paul writes in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Let me read it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, lowliness of thinking, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, this kind of thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. We are to learn to think like Jesus thought. Listen to Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. You want a goal? Want a goal for this week? I will be poor, low in spirit, humble, and of a contrite mind before God. That's what pleases God. We are at war. We need to remember that. When young people join the army for a country, they are often excited. They can hardly wait to get into the war. And then when the gruesome events of war become a reality, soon they become sick of war. They just want to go home and live in peace. I'll tell you what, we are at war. And you get the age of my wife and I, sometimes you just get tired of this war. You just want to go home. But I want to encourage us this morning with this. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight this fight that takes place in the mind, for in due time we will reap if we faint not.